see trees of green, red roses too. I see them bloom for me and you, and I think to myself. Virgin Valley Artists Association welcomes you to the Art Box, recorded in our beautiful Mesquite, Nevada, and sponsored by the Virgin Valley Artists Association. Our association has something for everyone of all ages. Come and get creative with us at 15 West Mesquite Boulevard, or find us online at mesquitefineartcenter.com, or on Facebook as Mesquite Fine Art Center, also on Facebook, the Art Box. Hey Steve, how are you doing today? Great, Linda. How about you? I'm doing wonderful. And let's, let's welcome everybody to okay, the Art Box. Here we are today. We are going to interview one of our hosts, Rachel Washington. Hello. And I've known Rachel Hi, for Rachel. for going on this year now. Yeah, since so, June. Yeah, since coming up on Pride. Yeah, but uh, yeah. And Bethany is going to sit in with us to help interview Rachel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Since we're all in this room, and whether you know it or not, we just interviewed Bethany. Which was so fun to hear about your experiences and your long-form life. I've known you as a friend, but I haven't gotten to hear your backstory, really. We haven't had time. Yeah. And we have the ghost story. And we have the ghost story. That's right. (laughs) So here we go with Rachel. Rachel, you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? I've never lived a life before. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, actually, it, I was having such a hard time answering those survey questions because it reminded me of a person I'd met where they were asking me questions about my life and um, things that I've done, and they were getting a chance to draw out so much. And at the end, they looked at me and said, you're so interesting. And I shriveled up. I'm like, no, I'm not. <laughs> she said, of course, you don't think that you're interesting because you're living your own life from a first-person perspective. So they're just normal, everyday things to you. That's a good point. That's a good insight for sure. But I would still say I'm not interesting. <laughs> but I know that you are. Yeah. Everybody in this room is. I honestly aspire to be like, and it's part of why I love Mesquite so much. I aspire to be like everybody that I meet when I grow up. It's like I'm meeting heroes and guns. Sorry. So how long have you lived in Mesquite? I'm actually over in scenic Arizona. Okay. But I've lived in this area for about a year and eight months. I counted it up uh, the other night. And you moved here from? I moved here from Syracuse, Utah. Uh, If anybody's familiar with the area, it's within the same radius of Ogden. If nobody's from that area, it's about 45 minutes from Salt Lake. Okay. What brought you to Mesquite then? Uh, A very handsome blonde man. Whoa, okay. (laughs) It's my boyfriend's family that was looking at some property over in Scenic, and we live on about an acre in a a 636 square foot house so it is the cutest little tiny starter and we were having the time of our lives and the property that we purchased we were uh, introduced to by his father so his parents are snowbirds but on and off about six months of the year they're our neighbors and we get to enjoy dinners with them uh, see his dad out in the yard working uh, his mom organizing the flowers and we can go over and chat with them and talk whenever we want so I'm a little biased, it's why I like living here, but the city and town of Mesquite really added to that flavor. I went to Juniper Outpost the other day, 
and was um, just shopping, doing my thing, looking around, and someone looked at me straight in the eye and said, you look adorable, what do you do? Oh. <laughs> Again, I'm like, oh my gosh, I just took a shower, but thank you. Um, and I didn't, I don't have a job. I am self-employed, self-propelled, oh, okay. so uh, since that conversation, I worked on establishing what I was doing instead of just uh, accepting odd jobs. Now I actually am desertducktailoring.com and Desert oh. Duck Tailoring on Facebook. So okay. self-employed, I'm having a lot of fun pulling in projects and working on clothes that people bring me to make them look good. Oh, wow. <laughs> and where do you get your inspiration? How did you get started in sewing? Actually, I brought something for you guys. Really? I think it's in my backpack still. Yep. I was in a summer school program when I was eight years old, and we made little strawberry pincushions. Oh, wow. So that was my this. first sewing project ever. <laughs> and after the strawberry pincushion, I went back home and was threading needles and sewing hearts and smiley faces onto my jeans. Even worse than that, I'd watch Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood show, and there was an episode they toured a teddy bear factory, wow. and they were showing the kids how the die cut was done with all of the multiple layers of fur, and they showed the shapes and how those flat shapes turned into a 3D bear. I was like eight or nine, and I'm like, that's incredible. I can do that. Oh, wow. <laughs> and my mom <laughs> take me to the fabric store, got all of the wrong fabric. It was a flat polyester lining that was stretched <laughs> instead of a high pile of fur or even a fleece. And I cut out the shapes that I remembered from the Mr. Rogers episode, and I hand sewed them together and made the most floppy necked, ugly teddy bear in the world. But it was finished, and it was about a foot tall. And it was yours. And it was it was mine. Right. And it was my favorite color. It was purple. Oh, did you name the bear? I didn't. I didn't. That's okay. No, she's. He amazing. was still loved. Oh yeah, very much so. I have him in an even more safe and special place than this. So I can't even access him right now, but. I do really, I didn't think it was a big deal when I did that, I was so young. I, I don't think that, I never think of it, what, what the art that I make in a way of I'm going to impress somebody or I'm gonna wow everybody. I think more of like, a, I wish this would exist. And so I'm gonna think really hard about it until I can figure out a way to make it exist. I love that you brought the strawberry. <laughs> Thank you. And I, Thank you. And I'm, I have great admiration for your skills because I've tried sewing a few times and most of the time the dress or whatever I'm working on ends up in a ball in the back of the closet. <laughs> I've been there. So. Oh, I've been there. The um, UFOs or the unfinished objects. Oh, <laughs> I like that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so that's come up a lot. I've definitely been in situations where I'm like, this is horrible. I don't know how to sew. I don't know what I'm doing and I'm never doing this again. And then within if it's not a couple days or a couple months, it's even been a couple years that I come back to a project with a little bit more patience, a little bit more really? knowledge, and I'm like, this isn't that difficult to work around. It just takes, like someone had said the other day, a, a pause and some logic. Okay, my phone's binging here because I have to take a picture of you with your strawberry. Oh, okay. So I had to turn on my phone because I turned it off because I went, so you want to hold up your strawberry? See, along with your yeah. your headphone on and everything else. Isn't that cool? <laughs> that <is> cool. <laughs> Thank you. So cute. Yeah, I'm more like, when, it when people talk about healing their inner child, I find that I was so embarrassed of being artistic when I was younger, only to grow up and 
be so excited that I didn't take no for an answer. If I felt like all eyes were on me and I wasn't going to do a good job, then I'd work on art privately. I mean, almost like a secret sometimes. Like I'd love being good at school. I love getting reading awards. I love science fairs and um, all of that. But when it came to being artistic, um, like I say, the shy extrovert, I never wanted the eyes on me. Oh, wow. Now you do volunteer work with a theater group as well, with their costumes? I do. Bethany got me involved. She had oh. asked me last summer if I was ever interested in helping the theater with costuming, and I was like, that would be a dream. I would love that. Marnie had an incredible foundation set already for this theater group for their kids' summer program, uh, but she was wanting to leave and live her life and have vacations and enjoy things. Um, without making, without feeling like she was leaving the theater behind or leaving them unsuccessful. So I stepped in partway through the theater program and helped them get the costumes together with Marnie's Strong Start. And then when she was able to return the week of opening, it was pretty much done. There was loose threads to tie and we were able to keep the train moving sort of like a relay race, and I loved that so much. And I did not realize that I could be a child's hero for my simple ability to open a snack but they taught me a lot of really beautiful things about a child's view, and I am really grateful for the opportunity to be able to work with them. Hey, Rachel, so tell me about going around town. You go around town and you run into one of the kids, and do they know you? Yeah, so I thought that the kids would forget me right away just because they're so young, and if I think back to the adults that I knew at that age, just over my head. But for them, it's only been a couple months. They'll see me around town, and they line up, and they're like, hi, Miss Rachel. And I freak out every time. Like, I get goosebumps and go warm. I'm like, hi, sweetheart. Doesn't that make it all worthwhile? Absolutely does. And so I've got a great opportunity to come back again this season for Hallelujah Girls and be helping with costumes again there, which is again, so much fun. Like I'm walking through the hallways and picking up hangers and dresses and stuff and singing in my head, like, who's that girl? <laughs> Just to myself, but I'm having so much fun. So you get a lot of creative freedom to do the costumes? All ideas are welcome to the table, which is an environment that I love because some environments, it, things are the way they are. And there's no really mm -hmm. point of bringing something up because it's going to be the way it's always been. Virgin Valley Theater really offers a there are no stupid ideas environment where if I just show it, we can shake our heads yes or shake our heads no, but I'm always allowed to show and suggest and sort of provide solutions like we had. I want to add a little plug here just because I saw it firsthand that during, during the summer group, there were so many kids. Um, especially for Beauty and the Beast, there were a lot of kids. And Rachel made sure that each of those kids felt, and she may not even know all of this, but that they had something special to their costume. Because there were a lot of kids that didn't have big parts, you know, and there's only so many leads. But she made sure every one of those kids had a special part of their costume that was theirs, that was, and they claimed it, and they loved it. My daughter had um, a brooch that Rachel brought from her own collection that she still talks about to this day that was like the killer piece that, that may, some people would have just left out. They'd been like, yeah, she doesn't need that brooch. But it added so much to the costume and it made her feel like Rachel saw her, she saw her character, she knew who she was, and it was just, and it wasn't just my kid it was everyone had that and everyone felt and if some kids were not feeling like oh I don't like my costume she was like you know let's change it and she would and up, she did up until the very day of performance she was like we're gonna make this the very best for you so you feel your very best and you can be your very best and she rocked it and yeah, every everyone is special yep everyone is special no Love matter it. how big or small your part is she yeah. you know 
That's what I love about costuming. I feel like Santa, like I can just surprise them with (laughs) these things that they weren't really, it wasn't on their mind, uh, they weren't thinking about it, but then they put it on and they're like, oh, my name's sewed on the inside. That's fun. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Sunshine, lollipops, and rainbows. Everything that's wonderful is what I feel when we're Now, are you going to the Disco Masquerade Ball? I am. My group, uh, me, my friends, and my executive board, uh, I can still get really surprised by how official we've gotten in the last year. But Love Family is throwing a Disco Masquerade Drag Ball at Envy Nightclub on December 3rd. And tickets are available now on Eventbrite. Okay. Will you have a special costume? No, but I have been saying I'm going to wear my bridesmaid's dress again, Ah. only to be getting closer to the event and thinking of ways that I can alter that dress and make it look different. So I don't even know what I'm wearing to this ball. I'll pull a fairy godmother moment on me the last second. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you do have a whole theater's closet of things you could go through, too. I don't want to ask them if I can borrow anything. (laughs) So what's your style and where do you get your ideas? My style, so I am extremely influenced by surrealism and how that relates to life performance. And if anybody were to ask me what, uh, I guess, my dressing style or my artistic style would be, it's trying on different stories and trying on different costumes, I guess. Even getting dressed for high school, I'd be like, well, this is my counselor on a field trip look today. (laughs) I'd always (laughs) label it as something that uh, this character would be doing in the clothes that I'm wearing. And I do the same thing for my art. I'll find things that I'm inspired by are things that I love how this artist worked with their dark colors. I love how that artist worked with their textures, or I love how they played with grayscale in paint, or just being so inspired by different people's art. I've loved applying that to anything that I do. And I, I mean, I feel like I'm uh, saying I, 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 I all the time. And it's the point of what we're doing. Some well, this is about you. This is, this is your podcast. It's my embarrassment creeping up on me. Like, Rachel, you're not that interesting. Oh, um, it's great. <laughs> thank you. Uh, but yeah, with, I um, grab, grab inspiration from whoever and wherever I can. Uh, love watching people's technique videos with whatever they do. And so bringing out, I guess, the dreamlike bit of surrealism, but the solid, lifelike skills of technical art. I love meeting those two in the middle and telling stories. I learned so much from these podcasts, and I'm getting the impression that somebody could put on a costume and their personality could change instantly. Do you find that happens sometimes? Oh, yeah. With your costumes? Or even, as you said, dressing as a counselor? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I find um, that not only just dressing myself, when I was working at Roger Rocca's Dinner Theater in Fresno, I had a coworker who told me a story of an actor that was about to go on stage. It was opening night. He had gone through the auditions, rehearsals, dress rehearsals, the whole shebang, and it was opening night that he seizes up and is like, I can't do this. I can't perform. I can't go on in front of these people. I have no idea what I'm doing. I need to go home right now. And she's like, I, I, I know what to do. So she takes his shoes that he is freaking out that these shoes are not going to walk me on stage. I can't do this. She takes the shoes, takes them back to the costume room, shines them, brings them back to him and says, I got you new shoes. These ones should be more comfortable. You should be more comfortable during the performance. Same shoes, 
same guy walks on stage and kills it. He just had so much more confidence after that little bit of change. I found that that's true in life, that just a little bit of change, wearing a t-shirt that you're proud of and going out knowing that my people are going to see me in this t-shirt and I might be able to find my tribe today or changing your hair and thinking, um, I am a fiery blonde now. I can't wait to go live a blonde bombshell life. Like little changes that you make and choose for yourself, whether it's in your art or in your style or any aspect of your life can really drive and reinvigorate different parts of your personality like a costume. That sounds like a lot of fun too. <laughs> Thank you. How do you handle mistakes and the critic in your head? Uh, I don't handle them kindly. Uh, I'm getting better at it and softer with my mistakes as I get older because when I was younger, I used to love following rules to a T. And going through the survey questions, it reminded me of one of my favorite quotes from a movie, Uptown Girls, which is, fundamentals are the building blocks of fun. And I spent so much time focused on fundamentals and don't draw outside of the lines and um, read the books before you speak so that you know what you're talking about, that I let go of that as I grew up and allowed myself to not have read the comics, but just seen the movie or allow myself to um, completely throw myself into something that I am unfamiliar with. Because I guess in my late 20s and being comfortable with the fact that I've gotten as many fundamentals as I'm comfortable with to now start having fun. Oh, good, good. <laughs> How do you fight the urge to <laughs> obey the rules of art, and which rules do you break, and which become tenets of your creation? Fighting the rules, I would attribute to improv, honestly. I know that we talked a little bit about improv classes before, but the way that like a mother would sign their kid up for soccer practice because Jimmy needs to stretch his legs, I tend to sign myself up for improv classes because I am so in love with that idea that your ego is left at the door what you say is the right thing, and what happens next will carry off of that as long as you trust your teammates. I handle mistakes as sort of that, um, well, I've done it, and now it's done, so I get to work with what comes next. That's great. Where do you do improv classes? Do you, do you go to Las Vegas? I don't go to Las Vegas. I actually found So You Improv up in St. George and really love that group of people. Uh, them being in St. George and me being in Mesquite, it's been so hard for me to make it back up there, but I would love more than anything to be able to bring improv to Mesquite. I oh, was looking wow. for groups here when I moved mm -hmm. and I couldn't find anything. And I, there might be something in the community that I'm not familiar with. If there is, please find me. No, <laughs> um, not yet. I, I have heard a rumor that there might be might be something coming to Moapa. Okay. Someone's going to start oh. an improv in Moapa. So I'm hopeful. Yeah, that would be really fun. Because yeah. improv is like, like I said, it's just that reaffirming vein that's always been there. Where if I'm standing at a party with a group of people and they're looking at each other like, well, what do you guys want to talk about? <laughs> like, do you guys want to play an improv game? Yeah. Well, it really is a, a type of therapy. And not everyone can do it. Not everyone can go off the cuff like that. And it really is a a form of therapy and getting confidence in yourself and you learn about yourself you learn oh I cannot do that one or yeah. I'm really good at that or absolutely so. I brought my well he was 10 at the time but my brother's 14 now I brought my 14 year old or my 10 year old kid brother to an improv class with me just because he was wanting to spend time with me and I saw that we're 13 years apart so sometimes I can see in him like 
my sociology books. <laughs> like, he wants to hang out with his older sister. He just doesn't want me to leave him at home. He doesn't care if I'm going to the grocery store. He just wants to be in the car. So I was heading to improv practice, and I said, Sam, do you want to come with? I didn't expect him to say yes, but he's like, you're going. I'd love to go. I'm like, I'm going to take my brother with me. Yeah, I probably feel like I'm six. Um, <laughs> and so I take him with me. And he thrived. He loved it. I did not expect that from him. He's just so indrawn and would rather play video games. And if you ask him how he's feeling, it's always fine. And he's just mm -hmm. the opposite of some I, some of these conversations that I wish I would have. But he's also so young. And I'm aware of that, that at 13 years difference, I'm sitting back and waiting for that day that I can invite him out for a beer and we can hang out and talk. But he wants me now. Yeah. And so I'm really tr always trying to sort of close that gap and bring him to improv with me and see him thrive and see him yes and and see him call a direction see him want to be in every game i'm like oh my god that's exactly why i do this and that's i love this kid i'm falling in love with you right now <laughs> yeah it can bring connections that you never thought were possible so is, really is he is he still in california uh, he's in Syracuse with my mom. Oh. Yeah, so my family, uh, okay. my mom ditched me in California, and I joke about it all the time because I was 19 and had already moved out of my parents' house when my mom got a promotion and got moved to Syracuse, Utah to go work at oh. a plant for her company. So she packed up um, my dad, my brother, and the dog, and they just got in a U-Haul and was like, bye, Rachel, see you later. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God, I am alone in California, and gas is, never, is full price. <laughs> I did that for a little bit before um, I was like 25 or 26 when I decided, so I'd done that for quite a while before I decided this is not fun anymore. I want my mom. <laughs> and so I moved to Utah for a little bit, uh, got back on my feet because there is anxiety and depression in my history. So living on my own, when I say not fun, that's putting it lightly. I needed to be with my mom and that absolutely healed me. I and completely different than I was at that time. I am so happy to be alive every single day. There are so many families that have members who have anxiety and depression issues. That's a, that's a very common, very common Oh yeah. Oh yeah. occurrence. And if I, and if I could tell myself, when I, oh sorry, give me two seconds to stop shaking and then I'll keep talking. Rachel, stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Um, but yeah, if I could go back and tell myself when I was younger that you are going to pick up the phone and text your mom, that you are so happy today. <laughs> so if I could go back and tell myself when I was younger that it is possible that one day you will pick up the phone and text your mom and say, hey, I had a really good day today and I'm really happy, like truly, really happy, then that would have been a really nice light to have. But um, I'm glad that I get to see it. I'm glad that I texted her that and I mean it. Yeah, oh, that's wonderful. Were you able to get help in California? Not the way that I wanted. Um, okay. And that sounds so selfish to say, but at the same time, resources are difficult. And that's just a reality that we live in a world that is extremely aware of mental health issues and extremely aware of one's personal journey and the fact that we are so dynamic and we are so different. We all have different life experiences, but we only may meet each other for a blink of those experiences. So it's so hard to fully help or fully touch on what somebody needs. And I've had experiences where I go to counselors or call hotlines or talk to an adult like I'm supposed to, and it doesn't always work. And I'm aware of that. Um, and not to say that I needed something special or anything, but 
<laughs> when a life-ending hotline then asks you, but do you really need help today? Did you need to call us or are you just oh, sad? Oh, no. Um, That's terrible. It is, but mm. it also, like, flips a light that these resources are out to help these people that feel the way that I do and worse. And they're not as equipped as they could be. Right. The people that show up, show up because they care, but they're not always going to 100% hit the mark 100% of the time. Right. And it's, that's why I love the group that I'm a part of so much, because we are all so different. So we're able to facilitate different kinds of people that come to our group and say, I feel this way and I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm trapped in a box. Like I can never reach out and say hello to anybody. And if uh, Dana is too outgoing, then Allery or, um, might be quieter and that person you can sit down with. Or if you've got kids, Allery and Bethany can talk to you. If you don't have kids, and you're a little bit more science-based, uh, hi. <laughs> like there's just so much diversity that's offered in Love Family that other services or other institutions just as much as they try, they can't put out in a job description looking for X, X, and X. And, and that help is so necessary, beneficial, because sometimes people that need help and they call and want to try to get into a psychiatrist or a psychologist are told, well, the next appointment is seven months away mm -hmm. and you need that help right away. I was going to ask you, how long has love been here and how did that start? Were you instrumental in the so I organization's was, beginnings? So I was actually an admirer and a fan before I began, became involved. And I didn't know it, but they started up a couple months after I moved here. Okay. Their first event was Pride of 2021. I saw that there was a Pride happening, and I'm like, awesome, I just moved to Mesquite, there's a Pride group and everything, they've got, every they've got it all going on here. And I didn't realize that that was their first event, and I didn't realize that that was their first event out of necessity. Uh, I, Mesquite had never had a Pride month before or any sort of Pride recognition. Allery Smith and Dana Long both saw a need in the community for both their LGBTQ selves and their LGBTQ children um, so that they were able to feel seen and feel celebrated and feel at home. And so that first event that they threw worked so well. I mean, I remember showing up and I'm like, I don't care if it's six people sitting in a pool chatting about life. I just want to show them support and show them numbers. So sure. instead it was 300 and something. That was yeah. an incredible event. Wow. And I brought my boyfriend down to it. Who he, he does not leave the house for anything. Like <laughs> The house could be on fire and I'm not sure he would leave it. Um, but I dragged him out to that event and he had the time of his life and was so impressed by how welcoming and warm the community is and I just wanted to go to every single one of their events after my awkward self was asking if I could carry boxes to the car afterwards because they didn't know me, but I admired them so much. I'm like, can I help you clean up? And then just kept working and working deeper into the organization. And now that we're starting to form more structure and become more official, uh, they graciously asked me if I was interested in not only joining the board, but asking me what position on the board I'd be interested in. So I'm loving being a part of what they're growing and uh, as secretary of the organization I'm loving have researching and forming sort of the documents that will hopefully be our success in the future. Where can people learn more about the organization? Do you have a website or Facebook page? Yes, we are lovefamilynv.com and on Facebook we are lovefamily or at lovefamilynv. 
Rochelle and I went to a meeting with Dana, and we just talked, 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 talk. and I've been involved since, and I've just, I have a great time. Everybody's so nice. What I feel bad about is that I know your name, I know Howie's name, I know Dana, I know Leah, I know Bethany, but I don't know everybody. And they're like, hey, Steve, hey, Steve. And I, and I feel so bad. You're a celebrity, so everyone knows you. And that's how celebrities feel. It's so, out. Of course. It's also living in a small town. Yeah. Uh, I, part of the reason Jason won't go out with me is because uh, I know so many people now. I know. I, and not on purpose. I just, I've been here for a year and a half. I, no one's going to tell me that I can't get involved in something that I'm interested in. So if I see a flyer and it looks interesting to me, I'll be there. Right. <laughs> and so I've just met people. And now when we go to Smith's or go to Walmart, like they're waving and saying hi. And I love seeing my friends and my neighbors everywhere that I go because it's just a constant cloud of love. Um, but he jokes with me like, oh, so now you're too famous and we can't go anywhere. <laughs> yeah. It's not like that. You have, you have your own paparazzi. Right, yeah. please, no pictures. My, <laughs> my husband refuses to go anywhere with me because it always takes longer and I'm either related to half the town or know the other half. Sure. And people are, you know, he'll ask me when I come home from the store, how many people did you see that you know? Well, everyone. I know everyone. <laughs> I've gone to Smith's and Walmart enough. I will know everyone. I know yeah, a lot of people. You can tell him, luckily know when I'm inviting over for dinner. Yeah, not tonight. <laughs> not this time? Not tonight. Tomorrow people will be here. Now, I did get to meet Jason. Yeah, my programmer. He's a little uh, yeah. computer coder. Okay, now where did I meet Jason at? And what were you there for? Uh, you've seen him for a couple of years. I know what you're talking about now. I see that smile. Saxton. <laughs> yeah. Saxton the cat? Yeah, that was one of those things that I saw on Facebook, saw that the Women's Center was doing it, and uh, it actually passed the flyer a couple times, not even paying attention to it, because I, uh, for what, when one reason or another, thought that it wouldn't be for my age group. And then I... Uh, <laughs> oh, your age group. <laughs> well, I didn't know if it was like... Like, yeah, specifically children. You, you, you have no age group here. <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> we, have, we, have, we have elementary schoolers, we have Rachel, and we have all the old people. Oh, I'm right. sorry, Bethany. I'm not including you in the old I people. I am old people. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not including you in the old people. And I cover right. everybody between the ages of old enough for a glass of wine and old enough for retirement. <laughs> there you go. Uh, but yeah, I had entered the Saxon contest um, on a whim because I got jealous seeing Steve's cat. I was so excited oh. at how that red, white, and blue cat turned out that I was like, I want to do one too. <laughs> so I worked out my Saxon and it ended up winning first place at that one. Yes, you oh, did. Don't Congratulations. Be it was phenomenal. Yeah, I was so, I mean, I still get really so humbled by that because it, it was one of those art projects that. I went into my Barney box, pulled out everything that I had, the magazines, the glitter, the glue, the uh, sequins, the trims, the mac, everything, everything. And I just laid it out and was like, what have I meant to use for a while, but have not gotten around to using it because I'm waiting for the perfect project to come around. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, today's your day, guys. We're, we're going to do it all at once. So it was like gold paint. It was like flowers that I'd been holding on to from the Dollar Tree. It was um, magazines that my grandmother had given me. I just threw everything onto it in, and arranged it in a way that I was happy with. Uh, so when that went first place, I was extremely humbled that some of the more lawless art that I've ever created was something that people enjoyed. Well, it was phenomenal. It was beautiful. You know what was fun that day? I was going in and seeing, it's, uh, oh, there's Rachel's. 
Yeah. <laughs> I, Bethany, did you have one there? I did. Her whole family did. did. But did. but it was like everybody I knew I was I went around the table yeah. had a cat. Cool. Yeah, I, 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 we were in the low. I didn't know it, but I was in the love family row. Like it was Aaliyah, yes. Dana, and me sequentially. <laughs> and then I would look across the room, and it's Bethany and four of her kids. And I didn't mention it in the last podcast, but Sasha has got such an iconic art style that without looking at the names, I started walking across the room and saw the vines and the roses that she paints. And I'm like, that looks like a Sasha Green. And I got closer, I'm like, that's a Sasha Green. I wanna be like her when I grow up, that is so cool. Yeah, she definitely definitely knows her art style and she tells, there's a whole poetry. She's very, very poetic, but her art, I would say, is poetry on paper. Like she just, you know the story without knowing the story mm-hmm. so yours is too though you're I mean that's how ever I think every costume is too like you just capture everything so precisely so thank you it was, it was beautiful yeah, I still want to be like your daughter when I grow up <laughs> I am thinking of a story that I want to tell you guys after this is over but I can't bring myself to record it I'm so nervous that this is going to be listened to by someone that I haven't spoke by anyone that I've just haven't spoken to in so long it's going to get psychoanalyzed and they'll be like that's why I haven't heard from her she's a nut <laughs> that's funny I, I appreciate so much that you had the courage to share your struggles because outwardly you're such a bubbly bright person oftentimes people keep their struggles with depression and anxiety internal and nobody understands that so hopefully by you sharing that today others will feel the courage to to share their experiences and help thank you yeah i I am also just so impressed with your your courage. There is such still such a stigma. Here we are in 2022, and there is such a stigma of mental illness. That's true. And my dad um, actually passed away from mental illness. He took his own life when I was nine. And back then, there was such a stigma, you know, of like, oh, that person's so gross. Like, oh, you know, legit, I have to, you're, that's just disgusting because there wasn't a lot of education around it. That's what I always thought growing up. Oh, it's just because people are uneducated. And now, sitting in 2022, with my daughter in a long-term mental facility right now, and the same stigma is here, even though there is education. There's the education is here. And it's available, you know, one click away. But there's still this stigma of, oh, that, that means something's wrong. And it's just, it's baffling to me. I don't know how we we bridge that except just talking about it and making it normal and making it, you can be this beautiful, bubbly person that still has this hard part of you that, that it doesn't make you less of the beautiful, bubbly person you are. Yeah, education can definitely be a huge role in that, but it's oftentimes up to the person to then sharpen those tools. Mm-hmm. And I mean, not to say that we, all don't miss the mark in some capacity or another or have successes in some capacity or another but it's hard to um, hit the nail on the head of both when a person's ready to talk about it and what to even say to them and I talk about it way too much and probably with way too much humor I was working at a retail store and a co-worker told me Rachel you are so bright and bubbly I love hanging out with you 
and I was not having it. That day I looked at her dead in the eye and said, thank you, it's because I'm clinically depressed. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think adding that realness, because I think, you know, a lot of people would say, like, my my daughter is in in a facility in Reno, and people will say to me, well, she was so normal. And to the, yeah, she is normal. She is a human still being. Normal. She's this still normal. normal. This is normal. And so I think that's where the stigma, I think people just think, oh, because she's there, she must be a person who's constantly just crying and is upset and can't just carry on the conversation and can't be going to school and can't be wanting to have, you know, things for her life. They, you know, people put this in a box of, well, if you're this, if you truly are, you know, with that person that you called the hotline, do you really need the help? You know, they're just wanting you to, it's like they want to walk you off the ledge, but then once you are walked off the ledge, they're like, okay, did you even need the help walking off the ledge? You know, it feels... Yeah, like, well, that was really easy for you. Like, what am I here for? Yeah, I think there's so many different looks of mental illness, and I don't think people are very accepting and... I think people are trying, but I think we have so much work to do. Yeah, and I think oftentimes they do want to be accepting. I don't, I can't think of a person off the top of my head that's like, if someone's having a hard time and you're on fire, I'd drink the water. Like, right. That doesn't exist in too many people. Um, but when it comes to having those conversations, just sometimes it's met with so much otherness that a person cannot help but to approach it with otherness because in one way or another they're just it's not an incapability it's just like a something they haven't explored yet and so it's a tool that isn't sharp enough to so a friend of mine that I met I was really having fun hanging out with them and I had asked them about their mental health struggles and I said well I forgot how I worded it because I worded it so gently but I had said like well what do you have going on in your day-to-day is there anything you want to talk about um, just because we had a dead second and they're like, no, I feel good. I'm like, wait, like all the time? And they're like, yeah, I always feel good. I wake up and I feel good, go to work, feel good. And I'm like, are you neurotypical? <laughs> He's like, what does that mean? I'm like, it means that you have nothing psychological. Like, you're just good to go all the time. And he's like, yeah. I remember leaving his house thinking, I don't know if I can be friends with him anymore. We have nothing to relate to, which wasn't true. We had so much to relate to, but I was almost, uh, surprised at how surprised I was that I met so many people that were so introspective. I met so many people that were so in touch and emotionally intelligent and had all this vocabulary, like uh, running out of spoons or anxiety or uh, neurodivergent behaviors and making your environment work for you. Just so much information and paths of healing with people that I've met, but one person that I meet that is just living and enjoying their life, I was shook. I was like, well, I was supposed to learn anything, which wasn't true. I learned so much about what it looks like to be enriched by your family. He was in love with his nephew. That was like his son. So he had um, his video games and his friends and uh, his work wasn't a means of validation. His work was a means to an end. It got him a degree so he could move on with his life. And just seeing this person handle that their life that way was, I learned, again, a good amount, but uh, it was just inspirational to see that I'm sitting here striving for something that I've never even asked myself what that looks like. I think a lot of the public still does not understand that mental illness is like heart disease, Mm -hmm. and a lot of it is genetic. Mm -hmm. And if you go back and look at certain families, you can see that 
maybe a grandfather killed himself years ago and one child struggles with attention deficit disorder and another one struggles with depression or anxiety. There's still a lot of education that needs to happen in the general public about the illness. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah. And those, I guess sometimes home remedies of those illnesses that do get passed down generationally, mm -hmm. either from chemical imbalances, it turns into the culture, the home culture, and what this person believes to, I guess, be the world around them. They could use the vocabulary, sometimes they could use the therapy, but at the end of the day, some people aren't going to get there. And I learned that working in senior care. I used to be an assistant activity director at a senior facility that did have like a hospice in the back, but for the most part, um, a lot of our residents could drive, feed themselves. So they were late in life, but not too late in life with a place in the building to have those who were much later in life. Some of those residents taught me that I can settle into my personality now and be like a Connie when I'm in my 80s, or I can be a student every day and be like an Eleanor. And I know those word, those names don't mean too much, but um, Connie didn't have the quality of life that I wanted. Her world was her husband, and her kids didn't come to visit them. And when it came to the other caregivers in the facility, she was so cold and she was so off-putting to anyone that wasn't her husband, which was inspirational in itself because she was so in love with this person that if he were to ever pass, he's her reason for living. She is that, like you wanna be like that kind of person to love, to give love to another human like that. Just the way that she treated people wasn't something I wanted. But when I saw Eleanor, she's that uh, reach out volunteer. She built parachutes for the army. She had family that she loved, but she also had people that she loved. And um, although she wasn't completely always there with her dementia, if there was an activity scheduled, wheel me over to it. I just want to be involved in the activity. No, I've never painted before, but I want to paint. <laughs> no, I've never um, baked before, but I want to see the cookie baking demonstration. She was just so alive and you see different levels of life like that when it comes to cognitive and physical ability in those kind of facilities because you have people that have lived their life. It's not, well, what if I do this or what if I don't get to do that? It's, I mean, not that their stories are over, but their adventure more or less in a way is. So to be able to see them and work off of their acceptances and their, I mean, they've come to it almost seems like these people have come to terms with their uh, regrets, but I don't always, I'm not inside people's heads, but to see their lives in their rooms almost like was a goal setting moment for me. Like I do want, it's like shopping for a personality. I'm like, I do want to be like her. I don't want to be like him. That's a fantastic way to live. Yes, I want to, I found so many role models in that job in the people that I was caring for. Wow. I've learned so much today. Thank about you. about you, but maybe also about me. Yes, that makes me really happy. Yeah, thank you guys. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. This is uh, as embarrassed as I am, and I hope that I didn't make it too bad. I have <laughs> uh, had a, literally a lot of fun talking about some of these things that I ramble on and on and on at home. But Jason can only take so much. <laughs> We're always good for you to ramble. Yeah. Thank you. I've really enjoyed learning more about performing arts. I have to tell you, the first month I moved to Mesquite, I was at the play. I volunteered to be an usher because that way I could meet people, go to the plays, bought my tickets for the whole season. I was at the first play I went to, I, I think it was, uh, it was the four singing women that came back. I can't remember the name of it. You probably would. Um, was it a Christmas, around Christmas time? 
I can't remember. But I know, anyway, I know what you're talking about. I can't anyway, they they came together for a reunion, and it was I want to call it the Glamour Girls or something like that. But I can't oh, it remember. Is something Girls? Yes. Yeah, I know you're talking um, about. Anyway, the, the artist was on the stage, and I was sitting up front by myself, nobody around me, and I thought, gosh, they're real. that person's really good. I feel, and I, I kept looking around, I feel like they're talking just to me. And they came down, and I was like, oh my gosh, they're talking. They're so good, they're talking just to me. They took me up on stage. <laughs> <laughs> They, they were talking, were talking to me, <laughs> and I became the teacher in the play. They said, you know, you don't have to do anything, just sit here. But I, I'm not a performing artist. I did nothing. I just sat there. <laughs> I was so, it was so not me. I was so out of it. That was you know, improv. I was like, That's I was like, oh, <laughs> now I'm in this play. <laughs> You're the star. Surprise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... That's fun. Kudos That's fun to you guys. Fun. I mean, it's, it's amazing what you do. I don't even know how you can memorize and keep so much in your mind. Oh, I'm backstage. Bethany's the one that's on stage. I've actually prided of not being in the spotlight. I'm like, I'll, I'll make their clothes. I'll make the star her dress. But when it comes to spotlight, I'll, I'll be back there. It's tricky. The remembering lines is tricky. But there's tips. And, but, and it all comes together. Somehow, you, it's kind of, you know, like dough when you're making dough uh, it's not coming together it looks like it's just all these ingredients and then all of a sudden it magically starts coming together and that's how a play is in general but how lines have been for me is you know I think there's no way I'm gonna be able to do this there's no way there was a long in my the last play I did there I had a, a long poem that I had to recite and I was I was like there's no way I'm gonna get this there is no way and guess what I could recite it today I could wow. still do it. So. Mm -hmm. I can't even remember it's where I put memory. my keys half the time. How about you, Steve? I, I don't know where my car's parked at. Uh, yeah, really? <laughs> You'll find it. Just click the clicker. Oops, cart going off. That's true. Yeah. I'd forgotten about that. You're totally right about theater, though. I've absolutely always loved how it takes a village to make a production. Yeah. Even in a one-woman play, there's spotlights and sound. So I've really always enjoyed that in getting signed up for theater, if you're in the building long enough, you'll melt into your role. Yep. I you'll was originally a narr. My first theater play was James and the Giant Peach at Bakersfield Community Theater, and I was a narrator, which then quickly turned into run of show because I'd rather push the peach through the hole. <laughs> <laughs> which then very quickly turned into I was in junior high, so I was only like ten or no, no, no like eleven or twelve. And they were getting the show together and they were trying to find what the kids were gonna wear for the parade at the end, the ticker tape parade. And I was like, I have a dress at home that might work for that. And I'm like, that would have been my first moment of costuming where I'm just in the vicinity. And I'm like, but that thing that I played dress up in would be perfect for this. Do you wanna borrow it? Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> and, her, and her career was born. Yes, yes. Hey, awesome. so Rachel, thank you for coming in today. No, so thank you for having me. And, and Bethany? been a lot of fun really yeah mm -hmm. yeah and again it's just four friends sitting around talking yep right absolutely awesome okay. thank you guys thank you broadcasting from mesquite nevada in the scenic mojave desert the art box sponsors thank you for listening 
To find our next and past podcasts, find us online at mesquitefineartcenter.com, where all accompanying images and links are available on the Artbox page. Questions, comments, opinions, and concerns can be sent to artboxvv at gmail.com. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of its hosts and guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the Virgin Valley Artists Association.